Well, hello. Welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast, recorded live at the 12th edition of Untitled Art in Miami Beach. Today's panel explores one of the key curatorial themes at this year's fair, gender equality in the arts. My name is Allison Thorpe, and I'm the Vice President of Sutton Communications in New York, who is the fair's lead communications partner. I'm joined here today by Julia Halperin, who's next to me in the middle, um, who is a freelance arts and culture writer who contributes to publications such as T Magazine, The New York Times, Cultured, and others. She, together with her colleague, Charlotte Burns, is also the co-founder of the Burns Halperin Report, now the largest database of its kind, that investigates the representation of female-identifying artists, Black American artists, and Black female-identifying artists in today's art market. We're also joined by Casey Lesser, the director of content at Artsy, who is the co-author of this year's Women Artists Market Report, a series of articles that delves into the current state of the art market for women artists via data gathered from independent research, auction results from Artsy Auctions database, and other Artsy data. So we're going to delve into the conversation Um, There has been a narrative developing in the art world over the past few years that we've seen progress in the art market for women artists and that museums, collectors, and well, everyone is paying more attention to female artists and artists of color. After all these groups um, have been historically been marginalized and not really been given equal opportunities in the market. But both of your reports indicate um, there's still a lot of great work to be done. Hence the thematic focus on gender equality at this year's fair. So in the first instance, especially for listeners of the podcast or indeed anyone in the audience um, who haven't read these reports, I'd like to start by asking you both to provide an overview of your reports and your key findings. Please. Yeah, Julia, maybe you can just jump in first. Well, first, thank you for having me. And thank you to Untitled for hosting this important conversation. Um, so our report looks at uh, our perceptions of progress compared to the reality of what's actually going on in museums and the art market. So we look at acquisitions acqu- and exhibitions at around 30 American museums across the country uh, and also auction results um, and uh, small sample data from private art galleries. Uh, And we look, our time period is 2008 to 2022. Um, And in general, what we found, we've done this report now three times, um, and it's always in response to exactly what you described, this sort of flourishing of commentary and, and some sort of totemic events that make us think that the power structures in museums and the art market that have been in place for centuries are starting to shift. Um, And we see those changes, but we don't see them anywhere near as as quickly, as substantially, or as thoroughly as I think we sense. So just to give you a couple quick numbers for our last report, uh, we found that um, female artists, amounted to 3.3% of all auction sales between 2008 and 2022. Uh, And that is the same as Pablo Picasso's auction sales. (laughs) So all women from all time sold for less money at auction than Pablo Picasso. Um, So I'll leave that one and, and we can dig into the rest in a little bit. That's a great statistic. 
sad one, actually. Um, Casey, to you. Yeah, we were responding to similar perceptions around, um, you know, there being greater representation for women artists um, in galleries and museums, among collectors, in the press. um, And we really wanted to see what actually was the market share that women represent. Um, And we focus mostly on auction data. Um, Artsy has the Artsy Price database. We have a lot of auction results. We really dug into that. um, And we looked at 2022. Um, 2022 was a big year in the press for women artists. A lot of women broke auction records. um, And um, particularly in the ultra contemporary segment. So artists born in 1975 and later and late women artists. Um, So we really wanted to see what is the state overall? What can we learn from looking at the past decade? And who are the the artists that are kind of leading the way within those segments? Yeah, and your your report actually included three different articles. Do you, would you mind quickly summarizing the three and like the titles and what those findings or general takeaways were? So the first part was on the state overall. you know, women artists represented around 9% of auction sales in 2022, which is bleak. Um, And then the ultra contemporary section um, was kind of the only bright spot, I would say. Um, We found that when you um, just look at artists born 1975 and later, um, women represented 43% of auction sales. And um, we narrowed it even further, looking at women born in 1985 and later. And at that point, the skills tip and um, women represented 60-something percent. So, um, you know, it definitely looks like the future may be bright or we're moving in an exciting, potentially inspiring direction. Well, that's great. I mean, it's good to talk about positives in this conversation today. Um, And I want to talk more about the ultra-contemporary market. Um, But in the first instance, I kind of, I want to start at the beginning to some degree. And Julia, there's actually a really great video in Arnett News that summarizes the Burns Halpern report for anyone who hasn't watched it. Um, And you said that some of your favorite responses to the poor statistics surrounding female artists could be that there have been fewer female artists working throughout history or fewer female artists working today or that it comes down to the makeup of boards. But that's actually not the case. So what what has, I mean, maybe you can talk about that a little bit more, but what's interesting to me is what's caused the disparity. And maybe this is something we know about already, but it's good to kind of really hammer it home. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when we start the reporting phase after the data collection phase, we always go to different folks and, and museum leaders and present them with the data and get their reactions. And very consistently, um, we get a lot of, you know, sort of trying to explain away the numbers um, in a way that would, would you know, put less onus on, on them or systemic sexism. Uh, and so you hear things like, again, you know, it must be that there just are fewer women artists. There were fewer women artists working. Um, And we know that at least for contemporary artists, um, you know, graduation rates reached parity in the early 1980s. And um, also sort of speaking to the cyclical nature of these sorts of things, they had previously reached parity in the 40s um, and and then sort of backtracked. So I think, you know, that also suggests to us that 
progress is not necessarily just linear. You know, you have to sort of stay on top of it. Um, and same thing with the boards. You know, we found that we we went back and calculated the ratio, the gender breakdown of boards for all of the museums that we included and found that it was like the one area in in museums where there was almost complete parity. Um, you know, and that showed us that it's more of a question of power um, and than just, you know, having the right people in the room. It's about empowering those people or making sure that that the people who are making decisions have a vested interest in changing the status quo. Um, and that really is, I think, the big reason. It's the most simple reason you could come up against, which is just inertia, um, you know, s- systems, the way people have always done things are often going to perpetuate the way that the same, the same thing over and over again. So, um, you know, museums often are wanting to collect things that speak to the collection they already have. And if the collection they already have is predominantly male artists, it's going to take a lot more effort to, to turn that ship around. And Casey, do you have anything to add as to why the numbers might be so bad? I, I mean, I fully agree with what Julia said. I, I kind of have a question for you. And when you're approaching the museum leaders, I'm curious if you if you get that kind of explaining away response, regardless of whether they're men or women. I would say maybe a little less if they're women, Um, but but it's not like a straight down the line. You know, I think it has much more to do with the the institution's own track record. Um, and if we, I will say that a lot of the institutions that have made the biggest shift over the period of time that we looked at are led by women, uh, something like the DIA Art Foundation is a really good example of that. Um, but it's not to say that women leaders never make those claims because sometimes they do. Right, right. And I, I think the one other thing I would add is collecting institutions, they obviously have such massive collections. So to make a dent there and to be able to collect enough women artists to tip the skills is kind of a massive undertaking. So it really is many years uh, project. Okay, so the numbers are bad. But let's go back to the positives. Um, Julia, you actually, in the Burns Helpern report, you categorized... um, your museum research into different categories, um, some contemporary focus, some encyclopedic, university museums. Um, and I think you found progress in one particular area. Yeah, contemporary, um, which I think isn't a huge surprise, but it was encouraging to see uh, that contemporary museums, you know, their numbers in terms of collecting women artists were, I think, 48% on average. Um, university museums were in the mid-teens and encyclopedic museums were in the, you know, low single digits. Um, and so obviously, you know, there, it is easier to find female contemporary artists. You know, they, they weren't working without, they had more access to galleries, to, um, you know, promoting themselves on social media, to the internet, to, you know, there are lots of reasons why, um, but I think it is encouraging to see to see that happening in the contemporary space. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, Casey, this is very much in line with your report for Artsy, that there's more gender parity in prices paid for works in the ultra-contemporary sector. Um, so why do you think that is? Or I know you gave a little bit of um, introduction to the ultra-contemporary report. It's part of your broader report. So, 
Yeah, I, I think it's just, um, you know, it's what's happening now and it's a sector of the market that is more easily shaped by the press, by what's going on at galleries now. Um, we're seeing a lot of collectors now who are kind of mission-driven and conscious of these issues um, and looking to, um, you know, purpose-led, looking to collect works by women artists. Um, so, you know, and, and I mean, at the you know most surface level, everyone loves what's new and young. Um, so I think that's something that's, you know, can be stated as well. Well, I would just add that um, I, I think on the, in the primary market, we looked at four of the mega galleries um, and you see they actually have better representation of female artists on their rosters than auction houses do in terms of sales or museums do in terms of exhibitions or acquisitions. Um, but we're still talking like 30 to 40 percent. Um, but the one thing I did want to mention is that we see that female artists, um, they, they sort of over index in terms of their performance of total sales. So they might represent 30% of a gallery's roster, but 50% of their sales. Um, and I think that that's interesting both to note that, you know, representing women can be a good business decision, but also that, um, you know, we see this pattern for many underrepresented groups that you have to be extraordinary and sort of overperform in order to reach the highest level. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting you mention a uh, kind of a business incentive or indeed like looking at women, uh, these younger categories performing a bit better. And of course, the fairs, the, the fair this year with a focus on gender parity, we have over 60% of our exhibiting artists either identifying as women or non-binary. So, I mean, talk to me um, a little bit more about speculation on, on these, at the segment. As a collector, should I be going and looking specifically for, for women artists as a way to invest? Or, and how could, how is that positive? Are there, is there any potential um, counter to this? I definitely wouldn't um, advise that or describe that as like a viable strategy. I think it's less about investment and more about um, it, more about building a collection that represents you as a person and what um, you know you believe in. Um, you know, obviously, collectors might be behaving that way, um, and on some level, that might be good for women's markets as a whole. Um, but, you know, we've seen a lot of artists, um, you know, not just women, all, you know, various different groups, um, where there's too much speculation, prices get too high too soon. Um, and it's hard to kind of maintain that. Yeah, I think, you know, we see that we also look at black American artists. And so we have seen that play out a bit in the auction data for that group. Um, you know, we see that there has been more speculation at auction. Uh, it drives the prices up. And then in moments where the market contracts, so for you know 2019 and 2020, um, the total prices will fall lower proportionally than the entire market does. Um, and so, you know, I, I think if there's not a sustainable support built for artists that's true for any artist um you know you can you can be kind of pushed up further but then fall further yeah i, I think and i think that's a good uh, point to segue into uh, a question around i mean we are seeing some positive changes however we know there's substantial room for growth 
And what can others be doing to really nurture greater gender parity? And I'd, I'd love to break this down into different sectors of the arts ecosystem, because that's something that else the fair really focuses on. So for instance, what can collectors be doing besides buying more work, or maybe it's simply just buying more work by female artists or what um, institutions can do or art schools or even art fairs like this? Um, I will, I'm just to start with institutions. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest takeaways from our research is that, you know, size doesn't matter that much when it comes to this. You know, the institutions that are really leading the way are the smaller ones or the mid-sized ones, you know, budgets from 10 to $20 million a year. Um, And so it's much more about a commitment to the issue uh, than it is a resource question um, and prioritizing it. And obviously prioritizing it means if you say yes to this, you have to say no to something else. And that can be really hard for people. But, you know, there are institutions like the MCA Chicago, for example, where we had a case study um, where they were, you know, two to five times the national average in terms of representation of female and black American artists. And they talked about it being both, you know, kind of selling to their public, to donors, to their constituents that this is something that makes them unique. This is part of their mission, but also really like, you, you know, nitty gritty stuff like making sure that they had a calendar where they were paying attention and they wouldn't have two white men in a row. Um, so I think it it's both the really big vision mission stuff and the small keeping on top of it stuff that that adds up to a big change. Yeah, I think across the group, so much of it is kind of tracking and holding yourself accountable, you know, whether you're a collector and you, you know, look at your collection and figure out how many pieces you have, how many works are by women. Um, same, like what Untitled's done at the fair this year to encourage exhibitors to show women artists and then actually count up the artists and, you know, tell the public that this is happening. Um, so kind of like leading by example in that way and kind of inspiring others to do so as well. Um, and obviously, you know, things like our reports, putting the numbers out there. Yeah, absolutely. And can you think of other examples of what women artists might need to overcome some of the structural structural barriers that face them? So like caregivers, for instance, and more child care support. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it sounds kind of cliche, but, um, you know, women artists who are gaining traction and do have that foothold kind of bringing attention to other women or other, you know, artists from marginalized groups. Um, you know, we, we always find that artists have the best taste in artists and collectors pay attention to what artists are paying attention to. So I think kind of like sharing your clout, sharing the spotlight is always kind of, and not, not easy, but kind of, um, somewhat obvious. I don't, I think, um, you know, there are also, there are structural solutions that we also need, right? Like I think we, there's only so much that the art market or the art world can do. Like I would, I would venture to say that one of the best things that we could do for women artists is universal childcare or universal healthcare. Um, and that is, by and large, a political project. Um, But I think I also know of some galleries that give their artists health insurance, um, which is not typical. Um, So I think that there are things you can do on the small scale. And then I also think there are things you can do like 
vote and support candidates that support causes that, you know, help women in general. Because women artists are also women. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes back to your earlier point about commitment. So like noticing or understanding the data, admitting that this is still a problem and then taking action and whether it's simply as voting or if you're running a small gallery and being more progressive, thinking about your exhibition program, thinking about providing healthcare or childcare opportunities. Um, at Sutton, for instance, we're a female-led uh, communications agency and we offer childcare opportunities for our women. We're mostly women. And I think it's a huge benefit to, to the team and it's something that's needed. Um, I'll, I'll just add that, you know, even this week, I went to an opening and the artist was holding her tiny baby. It, it's kind of insane to think about pregnant women, like, preparing it's for a reality. show, but that's, yeah. you know, that's what they do. Um, and the Burns yeah. Helpern report focuses on three data sets, as we said. So women artists, Black American artists, and Black American women artists, and artsy on female identifying artists. And um, I think I mentioned that Untitled Artists or Untitled Programming this year looks to support inclusive, inclusivity, diversity across the board. Um, and while one of the curatorial themes focuses on gender equality with over 60% of exhibiting artists identifying as women or non-binary, the fair also looks at supporting artists um, from more diverse backgrounds, from BIPOC communities, LGBTQ artists, Asian artists, artists from Latin America or Latinx. So I guess my question is why just the focus on women? Should we be thinking about equality on a broader scale? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, our our plan has has always been to sort of expand the lenses through which we're looking. And so the next report that we're working on now is going to look at Latinx artists in museums and the art market. Um, and so we've started now with an advisory committee of some amazing Latinx scholars and artists and curators who are helping us uh, kind of develop the groundwork, and then we'll start data collection next year. And that's, I mean, it's an area I'm really interested in looking at. It's you know, 19, 20% of the U.S. population, um, and Latinx communities get, I think, 2% of philanthropic funding. Um, so I think there is going to be a large, uh, a large gap to look into there, and I'm looking forward to getting to the bottom of it. Absolutely. I think it's a very admirable project that more people should be supporting and behind you. So if anyone out there is interested in supporting that, this next report. Um, Casey, for anything from your side? I, I would just say, um, like, you know, absolutely, um, it doesn't just stop with women. I think the, the limitations of data reporting like this is that um, it's hard to get that data for artists. And that's why what, what you all do is so impressive to just, there's so much manual research required. Um, and also, you know, you, you want to be respectful of the artists and the way that they identify. So that's always a concern to kind of be sensitive to that. I mean, so obviously this remains a, a very important and existing topic. Um, is there anything else we haven't discussed that you feel is important to, that we table today or for our listeners or anyone here in the audience to consider? One thing I would say in terms of one of the most interesting um, findings that we delved into in the report is the difference between um, gifts and purchases by museums. We're really starting to see museums prioritize um, women artists, black American artists, black American female artists in terms of what they're buying, um, but it's not necessarily showing up in what they're gifting. So in terms of in the context of a fair where people are, are buying and maybe thinking about future patronage as well. Um, I think, you know, museums still get 
most of what they acquire through gifts. Um, and so think about building a collection and then gifting it to an institution and you can have a major impact. Fair enough. We have a microphone for you. So I, I, this is a good opportunity then to open up to questions and we have a floating mic so you can be on the podcast. Thank you. Um, no, I think it's what you just said was really interesting. And obviously, you know, through our work with institutions that have been founded by, you know, collection gifts and then having to kind of rewrite history through a broader lens that isn't necessarily the Western lens and whether that's trying to bring in more Latinx artists or women artists or artists of color, I think that that is such a hard thing to shift in such a short period of time when an institution is 50 years old, 75 years old, in some cases, 100 years old. And how do you do that when the market frenzy also is speculating on ultra contemporary. And I think that that really, you do need collectors who are building the collections, who do have access to the works, who, you know, are buying for the institutions that they support and, you know, getting first choice, you know, on wait lists. And I think that's where, at least on the trends that, you know, we're, we're seeing shifting, that's where we're seeing real impacts being made in shorter periods of time. Because I think if you are just having talk more into it. I think if you're just having to really rely on, you know, your endowment or your budget, you know, you're really going to be on the back foot of what you can actually acquire in depth and expansively. So I, I, I totally agree with that. Great. Any other questions from the group? So it's expected by 2030 that two-thirds of the wealth within the U.S. is going to be transferred to women. Do you think that that's going to be enough to actually, you know, help this disparity? I think, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I think when I think about the board breakdown and the fact that that is 50-50 and we still see the proportion of acquisitions that we do, I don't think that alone is enough. I think it, it will be really interesting to see. And maybe maybe I'll be wrong. Like, maybe I'm the Grinch. Um, but I think, it, you know, just having the money or being in the room doesn't necessarily mean it's going to change. There needs to be a commitment and an investment in dismantling some of these systems. So maybe is my answer. Yes. And the one thing I would say is that a lot of that wealth generation transfer is going to generations that aren't necessarily investing in the arts. They're investing in science. They're investing in technology. They're investing in other sectors, environment. And I think we're seeing that a lot of that wealth generation isn't going towards the same type of patronage that museums have historically been able to benefit from. And that is a big difference in what generational wealth transfer looks like. No, totally understand. I, I guess then how does one uh, in, ensure that you're actually using that transfer as something that can be used as a positive aspect? You know, how do you ensure that, that that's actually making, helping to make a change? I mean, I would just emphasize the fact that just because that wealth transfer is happening doesn't mean that all those people are collecting. So I think we need more collectors. So we need more big banks to do more across the board. programs. 
Well, I also think, yeah, figuring out how to engage a younger generation and and kind of tell the story of an institution or of a museum or, or of an art organization and say the things that you care about, if, you're, if you care about, um, you know, like social welfare or senses of cultivating a sense of belonging or cultivating a sense of community like that, that's what an art institution can do. So I also think it's about, um, you know, meeting a, a younger generation of, of rich people where they are and trying to, to say, you know, here are the ways in which the art world can actually help you achieve your goals. Um, this is a bit of a transition, but I'm curious, it was mentioned that um, in your findings, you found galleries that are um, uh, offering health insurance to their female identifying uh, um, artists and perhaps all gendered artists. And as an artist, I'm interested, what are those galleries? <laughs> so the one that is at the top of my head, so it's, it, they offer health insurance for, for all of their artists, um, but it's Charles Moffat Gallery, which is in New York. Um, very cool. Uh, yeah, and they pay, I think, uh, up to like 70% of the premiums for you. Just the one, and there may be others, um, but that's the one I know for sure. Any more questions? But I think that's a really good note to end on, actually, is because the, what I'd love to take away from this talk are kind of more prescriptive advice of what we can all walk away and do to support more women artists or more equality in general in the art world. And just to close the conversation, I wondered if either of you had a walk around the fair or if there are any female artists that or women artists that really stood out to, to either of you. Um, maybe as you're looking up notes, I can name a few. There are a couple of exceptional all-female booths, um, one by Nero Ratnam, who's a London gallery, um, showing Emma Cousin, Alicia Reyes McNamara, who's actually queer and Latinx as well, um, and Jacqueline Utley at Nero Ratnam's booth. And then Turn Gallery um, has a presentation of five Black female artists from Bahamas, aging from the range um, from age 20 to the 50. So again, that kind of nice younger artist, more older, mid-career. How about you guys? I'm on a bit of a textile kick personally and am really into fiber and textile art right now. Um, and so I was really struck by the work of Afra Aisma from the Netherlands at the very aptly named No Man's Gallery. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Very good. <laughs> I, yeah, I like that one too. Um, I Right up front, Victoria Muro Projects has Emma Talbot and Saskia Colwell. That's really awesome. Um, and at 1969 Gallery, uh, Sarah Schlesinger, these like little um, landscape paintings. And, and one of them's inspired by Gertrude Abercrombie, who's another great woman artist. Um, and then in that same booth, there are works by, um, paintings by Nina Silverberg, these paintings of gloves that are really beautiful. So just a few. <laughs> Great. I mean, there are plenty of women artists to discover at the fair this year. So thank you all for coming. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I hope you enjoy the rest of the fair. Thank you.